Well, good morning, everybody. I don't know how you like your sermons, but uh, I like my sermons to go. So would you turn to your neighbor and say, I like my sermons to go, if you like that, you know? <laughs> you know, there's, there's certain restaurants you can go to and you can eat and you can just be served and you just, you know, kind of get fat there and enjoy everything. But, uh, but uh, church isn't supposed to be that way. Church is more, supposed to be more like a drive-through window. So you've come to a drive-through window today, okay? Because uh, church is really not about church. It's really about what's going on out there, amen? So we're here to get, uh, to get fueled up and, uh, and ready to go serve a world that really needs Jesus. So that's what this series is all about after Easter, Sermons to Go. And uh, we're going to kind of go back pre-Easter now right to the end of Jesus' life. Uh, and I want you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 13. It should be up on the screen up there. I'm going to preach a message today called Serving Jesus, hashtag unfiltered. Do you ever know anybody that you just knew well enough you could just make some unfiltered statements? You just don't have to couch it in anything. You can just say it how you mean it. All right, so Jesus kind of gets unfiltered in this particular story with his disciples. And why not? Because he's getting ready to die. There's no, there's no reason to, uh, to put on any airs anymore. There's no reason to couch your language in anything. So, so Jesus has no reason to uh, put any frosting on the cake. He's just gonna, he's just gonna share it how it is. And this is serving Jesus unfiltered. And so from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, Beginning with verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry and on earth. Now he loved them to the very end. Say, to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of, a, a son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he'd come from God, would return to God. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless, I, this is unfiltered right here. Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. And Jesus just got bold. He said, you can't even be a Christian. You, you can't even be a Jesus follower if you don't let this happen, Peter. So, uh, so shut up and take off your shoes. No, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty unfiltered, right? So he's saying, uh, you can't even be my follower uh, if you don't do this. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. But Jesus replied, a person who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down, and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. 
And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Last week, Chris preached, and the, end, the, the message ended with, Go and do likewise. Just like, just like the Good Samaritan. The very similarly now, Jesus says, Do as I have done. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the messenger. Now that you know these things, and I want you to say this to your neighbor, God will bless you for doing them. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will bless you for doing them. That's good news right there. God will bless you for doing it. You know, if you, if you just play like a word association game with this passage of Scripture, the word that comes to my mind after reading this passage is just, is just this. Awkward, it's an awkward passage. Um, it's an awkward passage because the meal is interrupted by Jesus getting up to wash the feet. And it's an awkward passage because the, 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 the washing should have been done by the lowest ranking person in the room. In fact, they would often have servants or slaves. Now, now in the New Testament, they had slaves, but not like what we think of slaves in early America. Most of these were slaves who chose to be slaves. They didn't have another job, so they would basically sell themselves to a family, and they would do all the jobs that no one else wanted to do. You know, they, they mowed the lawn. They, they, they cleaned the toilets. They washed the feet. They did, how many know all the stuff nobody wants to do, right? Do the dishes. No one wants to do kitchen work. That's what the slaves did, right? So they get here to what we know as the Last Supper. Um, this is the Thursday before the Friday uh, when Jesus is betrayed. Um, uh, you okay? All right, so this is an awkward story. <laughs> and, and awkward, you know, just like, how many knows that church sometimes gets interrupted and it can seem awkward, you know what I'm saying? But how many knows that sometimes God does his best work when it, when when it doesn't go just according to the way you planned it, so they had this they had this whole you know they had this nice meal planned with Jesus and his and his disciples and Jesus stands up and he takes off his robe uh, to wash uh, the uh, the disciples' feet. Now think about this: the awkwardness of the lowest ranking person should have done this, and you know. So, so why wasn't it that one of the disciples gets up to do the foot washing? Well, the reason the disciples don't do it is because the disciples are interested in who's, who's the greatest, right? They want to know who's the greatest, not who's the least. And so the disciples, are, you know, they, they, they want to know who gets to sit next to Jesus, who gets the special parking next to Jesus, you know what I mean? Who gets to park in the special parking up front, you know, when you go to church? Who gets the VIP treatment and all that kind of stuff? So in this, in this meal with her, Jesus stands up awkwardly because in their minds, he's the highest ranking. He's their teacher and he's their Lord and he washes the feet. Now, anybody ever been to a foot washing service? Anybody ever been to a foot washing? I have, and I got to tell you, I, I don't like them. They're, they're, they're awkward. And, and one of the reasons I don't like them is because Nordstrom's have the ugliest feet known to man. I, I have, I think, I would never get a pedicure because I would never let anyone see my feet. They're just ridiculous. I have no toenails to work with. They're just, you know, it's, it's just not a pretty picture. And, uh, you, oh, you got it? 
You want to see? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we got a freestyle service today. <laughs> so, so um, you, you know, it, it's awkward. And so I've been to some foot washing services. I hated them. And I was reading the, you know, when I, when I study for the message, I just fill my stuff with stuff about this passage. And I came across a, a pastor who wrote this about a foot washing that she went to. And she said this. In the 1990s, I belonged to a church where they decided to hold a foot washing one year as part of the Maundy Thursday service. It was the one they had, it was the first one they had ever tried, and to my knowledge, the last. Now listen to this. This is awkward. That evening, as the sun set and the moon rose, gleaming through the stained glass scene of Jesus in the garden before, behind the altar, there they sat up front in a line of folding chairs facing the rest of us with their shoes neatly ni- lined up next to each other on their chairs just like little soldiers. These were some of the elders of the church that they invited to have their feet washed as sort of part of the sermon. And they had 12 elders, but they could only get six to agree to come. So, so, these, so these six agreed to do it, and there was, there was Joyce up there on the end seat. She had had a pedicure just for the occasion. I could see her bright coral nail polish blinking from my seat. I could see Ralph's gold toe socks neatly folded on top of his newly polished wingtip shoes. I could smell a hint of Febreze that Denise must have sprayed in her shoes just before she left home. We in the congregation got to watch while the pastor washed the six best-smelling pairs of feet in the entire town. In my fond memories of that evening, I think of it as the demo foot washing. The demo foot washing. And if you're taking notes, by the way, in your bulletins, there's a place to take notes. The first point we're making today is, is, is service is our lifelong calling, not a photo op. You know what a photo op is, right? That's when these presidential candidates act like they do things they don't really do. You know, you, you, see, you see Hillary Clinton out on a John Deere tractor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, oh, and I'm not, being, I'm not being partisan here. You, you know, you, you'll see, uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump wearing a baseball cap as if he can relate to the little guy because, you know, billionaires always walk around with little baseball caps on. You know what I mean? Photo ops. You, you know, try to relate to people. You do these photo op kind of things. And, and, uh, and, and it's easy for us as Christians to have a photo op mentality to do in church, you know. So, so, so we give lip service to helping people and to caring for people, but it's not really our lifelong calling. The thing that I loved about this passage, and I'm just going to preach for a few minutes because I'm going to introduce you to somebody here, uh, Stephanie Mitchum from Water Angels. I'm real excited about that. But uh, the Bible says that Jesus loved his disciples right down to the very end. This should be a Jesus party, but instead we find Jesus serving. This is like your last meal. You know, this is the time, you know, when the guy's facing the guillotine that he gets to, he gets to request prime rib, right? He gets it with the baked potato and he gets it with the salad and he gets it with dessert and all that because this is his last meal. If there was ever a time when Jesus deserved not to be the one to get up and serve, it should have been this time. But Jesus said, I want to show you something. I want to show you that I didn't just love you in the beginning, but I love you to the very end. And Jesus loves people at the end. He loves them at the end of his life. He loved them at the end of his strength. Jesus loves people at the end of our cities. 
Jesus loves people at the end of their rope. Jesus loves people at the end of the line. Jesus will spare nothing to reach you. Jesus loved people until the very end. And so it's not a photo op. It's serving as our lifelong calling. This morning we have Stephanie Mitchum here from Water Angels. I had the privilege of meeting her husband when I first came to town. We were having some blinds hung in our home. And uh, we contracted, I think it was Lowe's at the time, and Jeff was the guy that came out to, to hang the blinds. But it was one of those divine appointments because Jeff said, you got to meet my wife and you got to know about this ministry that we've got going downtown called Water Angels. And I don't want to steal their thunder and she can tell you the story of how that started. But, but as many of you know, we serve down there. We try to do it on a monthly basis where we'll come and bring the word and the worship at Water Angels. I, it's, it's my favorite inner city mi- uh, ministry in the city of, of uh, Knoxville. Her and Jeff have a unique calling on their lives to reach those in our inner city who have been underserved, overlooked, and sidestepped. It wasn't enough for them to just do it in our city, but they also do it in their family. And they've brought uh, children now into their family from Jamaica and have adopted children that needed someone to love them like Jesus loves. Next week, we're challenging our congregation. By the way, I don't want just like three people from our congregation. I hope that every one of you that don't have a prior engagement will come with us. I'm, gonna, I'm just throwing out the gauntlet right now. I'm just taking a risk right now. I just hope that everyone who does not have a prior engagement next week will come with us to the inner city and, and to use your gifts and your talents to love people uh, in, in our inner city who have been underserved and overlooked and sidestepped. Amen. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be providing snack bags. And, but I want you to be creative. If there's people here that know how to cut hair, we invite you to cut hair. If, if there's people here that know how to pray, we invite you to have free prayer. How about free prayer, huh? Free hugs, right? How about just sharing the love of Jesus in some practical ways with people? Whatever it is that God puts on your heart that you know that you can do uh, to share with people in the city uh, next week, we're going to encourage you to do that. If you're taking notes, this is the next point. Servant is the adjective before every position in life church. Everyone who serves in life church, you're a servant. If, if, you are, if you are an usher, you're a servant usher. If you're the pastor, you're a servant pastor. If you are on the worship team, you are a servant worship leader. If you're on the tech team, you're a servant, a servant tech team. None of us are here to, to receive privilege, but all of us are here to serve. Amen. It's the adjective before every title of ministry. These guys were worried about titles. They were worried about position. Who gets to sit here? Who gets the nicest seat? When you come into your kingdom, uh, John and uh, James, who's going to sit on your left? Who's going to sit on your right? And Jesus says, you don't understand this now, but you're going to understand it. This is the last thing I want to share. This is the most unfiltered thing uh, that that I want to share with you today. And before I do, I just want to say this about Life Church because I don't want to sound like I'm getting on your case. I think we have a serving, loving church. I love you guys, and I love the way you serve. I watched you on Easter Sunday as this place filled up, and we had to go out into the lobby that you gave up your seat so that guests could come in and have your seat. I watched you come early and, and work on the tech team and the sound team. I watched these people out in the parking lot greet people as they're coming in. I see children's workers that are not just babysitting kids but are, sh- are sharing uh, the love of Jesus over there, and it means the world. Uh, this you, you've come to a place if you're looking for a, a place where you can just be you know a church 
Do we have all of the right programs so, so that all of the needs of me and my family can be met? Let me just tell you right up front, we probably don't. But if you're looking for a place that you can find a towel with your name on it, with your size, just like fits you, a place to serve, you can find it here. Amen. There was a survey done, and the survey said 90% of people think that the church exists to meet the needs of me and my family. Only 10% said that the, uh, that the purpose of the church was to reach the needs of the people outside of the church and to love them and to give them a relationship with Jesus and to meet their practical needs. Only 10% said that. Can I just tell you what? The survey was wrong. 10% were right. 90% were wrong. The church does not exist to meet the needs of me and my family. There are things that there are, you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, if you're looking for the perfect program, you're not going to find it here. But if you're looking for a place where you can dig in, we believe that every member is a minister and everyone is, is called with a, uh, with a, everyone has a calling on your life and there's a towel that is meant for your hands that you can work. No one can do what you can do. Amen. Amen. God's called us to serve. Now, now. Now this is kind of unfiltered, but I'm just going to I'm just going to say it how it is. You can't be a Christian without both receiving and giving practical love. You can't be a Christian without both receiving and giving practical love. Now, now, now first of all, you can't be a Christian without receiving practical love. How many know that for some of us, it's really hard to receive? You know, you know, we just kind of pride ourselves in it, don't we? We pride ourselves in that I'm the self-made man. I, I you know, I've got it all together. I, 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 I'm, I'm independent. I don't need anybody. And if you don't need anybody, can I just tell you, then you don't need Jesus. Somebody said that your religion is just a crutch. Well, it's not bad if you're crippled. It is a crutch. Jesus is a crutch. I do need Jesus. And so Peter, you know, Peter, the, you know, Peter's a, Peter's a guy's guy. He's a, he's a Bass Pro kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Coy Williams and Peter would have hung out. You know what I'm saying? And you, Peter, you, Mr. Woods guy. Uh, but, but anyway, Peter was that kind of guy. And so Jesus is like, he's coming along. He's, you think you're going to wash my feet? <laughs> you think, hey, I clean fish. Nobody washing my feet. You think you're going to wash my feet? And um, Jesus said, you don't understand this now. But you will. And Peter said, you're never. You just, just mark it down. You're never going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, well, then okay, you can't be a Christian. That's hard. That's, that's unfiltered. Peter, you can't even, you can't. Just, just go home. If you won't let yourself be, can I just tell you, you'll never get healed unless you admit you're sick. You'll never get found until you admit you're lost. You're never going to get delivered until you admit you're bound. If you got it all together, if you think, if you think you're a self-made man, a self-made woman, you're never going to get the help you need. And so if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to let someone help you. I remember one time when, when Melanie, I went through a very difficult situation uh, with the birth of Christiana, and she began hemorrhaging about two weeks later. And when she woke up in the middle of the night, I mean, we had our our house looked like a crime scene. I had to get her to the hospital. She barely made it. Her her blood pressure was sixty over forty. She'd burst an artery. 
doctor fixed it very quickly and, and, and she went on to healing. But I'll tell you what touched us. I would have loved to have called one of those professional companies to come in and do like blood removal and stuff. But when we got back to the house, there were some ladies in our church. They had towels on the floor. They were, they were wiping up. It, it, was, it was horrible. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was no one, you, you don't want anyone that you know to see anything like that. And these people from the church came in and, and they cleaned. And, and let me just tell you something. You came into a, a mutual needy society here. You know, I just got to tell you this morning, me and Melanie can't build this church by ourselves. We didn't come here to knock. I, I, can't, I can't do it. We, we, all need, we all need each other. I need you and you need me and I need your gifts and if my car breaks down, I don't have a clue how to fix it. Jeff? You don't either. Somebody, somebody help a brother out, no. <laughs> Bill, I watch you do woodworking out in your shop. I can't, I get a piece of wood, all I can do is burn it. I don't see the beautiful things that you see and the things that you do and I need you. But you know what? Someday you're going to be in the hospital and you're going, to, you're going to be wondering what life's all about and you're going to need a pastor. You're going to need someone to come pray for you. And you know what? I can do that. I can do that. And I'll be glad to do that. And I want to serve you in any way that I can. And I'll try to do anything. But we need each other, church. We need each other. And then let me just tell you, there's some people in our city that need us. And I'll just tell you, we need our city. We need, we need, we need our city too. This is, that's kind of a strange deal, but uh, we think of ourselves as the people that all the answers. And these lost people come and they need us. You know what? We need, we need lost people. I need some lost people that can work on my car. <laughs> I do. Jesus said, "When you go into a city, be needy." Don't bring a purse with you. Just go there and and ask them if you can stay in their house and ask them if you can use their services and ask them why. Because when you let people help you, you're you're beginning kingdom work there. Anyway, I told you I was going to preach short, so I'm going to move on. All right, so you can't be a Christian without receiving practical love, but you also can't be a Christian without giving practical love. You see, we we talked about this in our group, our small group last week story of the Good Samaritan, we talked about why is it that evangelicals, whatever, what's an evangelical? I'm not sure. They, they talk about it in politics. Like Everyone who calls themselves a Christian is now an evangelical. But when I think of an evangelical, I think about people who, who really have a personal relationship with Jesus, and, and, and that's who they're trusting in him alone for their salvation, not just that say that I belong to a church somewhere, but a, a true evangelical. Why is it Why is it that evangelicals are not more involved in practical ministries like feeding the hungry and all those kind of... In fact, for years, the only social issues that evangelicals cared about was sexual social issues, like abortion or homosexuality or things like that. But what about homelessness? What about, what about people in our, in our cities that are bound and need delivered? And you know what? We, we said, we're just going to relegate that to other churches. 
And frankly, there was a segment of churches, uh, um, uh, the mainline churches, that, that kind of got out of the Jesus bit. They got out of the personal relationship with Jesus business, and they said, well, we're going to go down in the streets and feed the hungry, and we're going to do all those kind of things and all of that. So we said, okay, we'll let you churches, you mainline churches, you care about our inner cities, and we evangelicals, we're going to save your soul. <laughs> what would happen if there was a church that did both? What would happen if there was churches that cared about the deep spiritual... What if there was a place like Water Angels that, that not only would provide you with clothes and food if you needed it, but they would share with you Jesus. And when I go to Water Angels, I've seen more baptisms at Water Angels than I have in our church this year. And I love that. I love it. Because, because it's not either or, is it? It's both and. We're not just called. Jesus said, Jesus said, you cannot be a Christian and just be involved in, in saving people's souls. You gotta be involved in feet washing. You gotta be involved in feet washing. You gotta be involved in awk. How many know, one of the things I admire most about y'all's ministry is your ministry's awkward. It is. You work sometimes when people aren't always reliable. You do things that nobody else wants to do. It's, it's, it's awkward a lot of the times. And, and we're just going to have to get used to being awkward and, and saying we're going to try stuff. I, like, I loved what Chris said l- last week. Do stuff. That, that means sometimes we're going to fail. But we're just going to try to do stuff. We're going to try something next week. I hope it's a raging success. But we might fall flat on our face. But we're going to do stuff. I'm just going to challenge us to do stuff. I'm not great at everything. But, but, but I just want to challenge this church. We can't just sit on our pews and be a pew potato, right? All right, we gotta, we've, we've got to get out into the streets. There's a world that desperately needs what we have to offer. And people cannot hear about a Jesus who loves them if their stomachs are hungry. Mm, three of you agreed with that today. All right, that's great. I'm just giving you a hard time. I know you agree. Soren Kierkegaard, famous theologian, wrote these words. I went into church and sat on the velvet pew. I watched as the sun came shining through the stained glass windows. The minister, dressed in a velvet robe, opened the golden gilded Bible marked with a silk bookmark and said, If any man would be my disciple, said Jesus, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, give it to the poor, sell all that he has, give it to the poor, and follow me. God will bless you if you do this. Life Church, we want the blessing of God on our church. You want the blessing of God in your life? God will bless us if we do that. You want to get under God? Well, you know what? You want to know what? Chris talked about it last week. Get God cheering for us. This is what God cheers for. 